You're listening to Leveling Up, and I'm Arielle, be your host. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Leveling Up with Arielle Miller. I am so excited for today's episode because it has been a minute, but I have a very, very, very special guest with us today. Her name is Michelle Liu, and she's actually a friend of mine from my doctoral program at USC. And I know some of you are thinking like, oh my God, you're going to get a doctorate? Well, surprise, in 2023, I will be Dr. Miller, and so will Michelle. She'll be Dr. Liu. But Michelle and I met actually virtually because school is not meeting in person. We met in our very first orientation session online, and we just like hit it off. And then turns out she was in my cohort. And then like in our first class, I think we were actually paired up together in a group. And I was like, it's you again. (laughs) (laughs) And then since then, Michelle and I have become friends and we've worked together in group projects in both of our classes. And I wanted to bring her on to leveling up to share her story with you that I don't even really know the innards of, but a remarkable tale of overcoming obstacles and evolving her life and being able to do great things in the world. So Michelle is actually also an educator and she's an assistant principal at Arcadia High School, which is outside Los Angeles, yeah, right? it's LA. Like, yeah, it's about, it's about 30 minutes outside of downtown. So that's a good reference to the East. <laughs> there, to the East. <laughs> so that works, right? So I'm looking forward to really digging into this interview with you, Michelle. So thank you for being here today. I would love for you to just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. I know that like it's hard to condense you to like tell me about yourself, but why don't you just start wherever feels right for you? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I was telling Ariel, I absolutely love podcasts. So <laughs> this is amazing. And to be a guest and, and to share the story that I want to share, which is a story that I've shared in bits and pieces, but I don't think I've ever had this cohesive storytelling of, of my life up to here. So, you know, as, as Ariel said, I can read you the resume. I am an assistant principal. I've been an assistant principal for a couple of years. My background education wise is in special education, specifically in moderate severe. So I work with our kids that are usually our, you know, most neediest kids. They're the kids that uh, have a lot of challenges, but I love it so much. <laughs> and so I was a special educator for 14 years. Um, I have a daughter, which she'll fit in very well <laughs> and very intimately into our into this story. And I just love life. I love meeting people like Ariel, where we can challenge each other, we lift each other up, and we create this positive environment. So I think that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Well, I also feel like too, we connect a lot as people like, just, I want to just like preface this as Michelle was my first friend in my grad program. (laughs) Yeah. You were my first friend too. You know, it's that weird thing. Even, even when you're in a graduate program, you always have that feeling that I used to feel back in elementary school. Like, Oh, is is anybody going to like me? You know, am I going to meet somebody? (laughs) And then I was thinking, you know, and it's online, which makes it a thousand times harder. So yeah, we hit it off right away. I think what happened was we get, we kept, we were in the same breakout groups or something like that. We kept seeing each other in these groups, like these getting to know you icebreaker kind of groups. And then finally, I think, I think actually, Ariel, you asked for my number. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because I'm that shameless person who's like, I like to collect friends. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm very glad that she collected me and, and it really truly has turned into, you know, mutual admiration. We've worked together as she said, and it's just been really cool. You know, well, we I also have, have a lot in common because yes. of your background in fitness and wellness right. and we bodybuilding. Yeah. So we have, we have a lot more in common. And I know that my listeners are probably like laughing and smiling because like, I'm like anyone who is into fitness and wellness oh. and health. I'm like, you are a friend to me. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. And I think that one of our first conversations was about that. Like, oh, okay. Like what kind of fitness do you do? Well, okay. Well, what about this? And like, how long have you been doing that? And I love that. I love that too, because you know, not, it's hard to get very specific like that with most people, I would say. Well, and the thing is, is people don't understand, especially because I'm cutting weight still. Yeah. And you know, you've been bodybuilding, you have experience. So you understand like reverse dieting and cutting yeah. and like what goes into it. And, and anyone who will like give me the opportunity to talk about my lifestyle <laughs> and, and at least entertain it to some degree, I'm like, let me tell you about my macros. And I have to tell everyone, I was very interested. We had long conversations about our macros. <laughs> So the reason why I invited you onto our show is I remember pretty early on in meeting you, you had mentioned, you may have mentioned it in class. I don't mm -hmm. recall the exact place you had mentioned it, but you had mentioned that you had gotten pregnant very, very young. And I, I want to have this conversation because we both are public school teachers, but I work in an urban environment and I've had teens that have been pregnant and the statistics are pretty damning. And I look at you and you're this incredibly successful woman and force in this world doing incredible things. And it's, I think people need to hear that there are things that are going to happen in your life that A, are out of your control, but how you respond to those things will determine what happens after. So something I want to preface the conversation with is obviously Michelle is a highly educated individual and adult functioning woman and is <laughs> adult functioning. Yes. I got adult Thank functioning. You. <laughs> You're so welcome. Functioning is questionable. I'm just kidding. But I, some of the statistics about teen pregnancy are worth mentioning here. So Michelle, I just, before I go into just a few of the stats, how old were you when you had your daughter or you were, you got pregnant? Well, that's a funny story in myself. I got pregnant my senior year of high school. So actually January of my senior year of high school, 17. And it's really funny. And I'm laughing when you say like, how old were you when you had her? Because I turned 18 in August of that year. And I had her in September. And one of my very first thoughts after I had her was, I'm an adult. I'm an adult. Like I'm not a teen mom. <laughs> like I'm an adult. I'm 18. This sounds so much better than being 17 and having a kid. <laughs> so yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, really like literally that was a thought like I'm a legal adult. So maybe this will make it better was one of my first thoughts while I was still in the hospital. Like they, there's this person that comes around and she gives the, gives your child their social security number, the birth, she takes records for the birth certificate, right? She'll ask you, oh, you know, who's the dad and all these things. And, uh, and I did, I told her, I said, well, I'm 18. <laughs> like, I'm 18 <laughs> she was probably like, oh my God, kid, <laughs> kid, you don't even know. <laughs> but that's an important thing to, I mean, it's a, an important indicator, right? Of your mindset of, and of, of being a, a 
teenager, you yeah. know, like I, and it's such a crazy thing because we're returning 18 was like such a big deal and it's yeah. huge. You graduated from high school and then you had your daughter, but for some of our girls who do get pregnant younger in high school per se, uh, something that I'd like to point out is that uh, parenthood is the leading reason that teen girls drop out of school. More than 50% of teen mothers will never graduate from high school. And that's a pretty staggering statistic. And then to kind of dig a little deeper is less than 2% of teen moms will earn a college degree by the age of 30. 2%. Wow. I, I didn't know. I, I don't know any of these statistics. I've never looked it up in a clinical way, probably because I was living it at the time. And then now I think not that it's too painful, but it's something that I don't look at clinically because it is so personal to me and, and I want to move forward from it. So it's really interesting to hear that 2%, huh? Less than 2% go to college. That's pretty amazing or graduate. That's pretty amazing. My question for you though, is like, I mean, it's not a question because it's such a big concept is how did you get from being 18 year old, 18 years old, having your baby, your girl, your baby girl Mm -hmm. to going to be a doctor (laughs) where no one can call you kiddo. I'm just going to throw that reference in there to having your doctorate in 2023. So I know that's like a huge thing, but what kept you going? How did you do it? Who helped you? What was that? motivator in the pit of your stomach that kept you going. Yeah, no, that's great. And this is something that I think has defined my life because normally I, when I think about my life, it's, it, that is the defining feature in my life, right? Though there was before I got pregnant and then there was after I got pregnant because it did shape me to who I am today. And I think the first thing to answer the question is just even deciding to have a baby, right? Because, you know, my daughter was born in the 90s, the late 90s, and, you know, abortion was fine, right? There's access to it. And I even remember I had a couple of high school friends when I found out I was pregnant. I, I suspected pretty early on, you know, I was kind of tired. My period didn't come. My boobs were hurting. And I'm like, uh oh. Also, you know, unprotected sex that had happened. So I think all roads led to, you might be pregnant. And, and I remember very early on, I was talking to this guy, I was waiting outside of the school for my mom to pick me up. And it was a friend of mine and he walks next to me and he's just a cool guy, right? So he's, you know, not into your feelings, not into your feelings in high school anyway. But I remember him standing next to me. He goes, you know, it's not too late. And, and I'm like, what, what do you mean? Not too late. And he goes, well, you know, like you could still have an abortion. And it was weird because he was standing next to me. So he was talking ahead, right? He wasn't looking at me. And I think that was his way of trying to give me options and let me know that we would be okay with that. Or, you know, like it's okay to do those things. And it's really interesting because of course I thought about it. Of course I thought about having an abortion, right? I was in honors classes. I was part of national honor society. I'm Chinese American. It is very unusual. I don't know if you have statistics on that, but I'm sure it's pretty unusual for as a demographic for Mm -hmm. Chinese or Chinese American, uh, you know, teen pregnancy rates. I'm sure they're very low. (laughs) It's almost like the makings of a life 
lifetime movie. Like not not to make jest or like light yeah. of your situation, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't Very bring unusual. down statistics by demographic, but now you have yeah. me thinking that that was something I should have done. Oh no, I mean, well, because you never even think about it, right? And so I think, like I said, it started there, right? It starts with the decision to do I even want to have the baby? Am I going to even have a baby? And there was actually a pivotal moment where I realized I was. And there was a girl in my class who had gotten pregnant the year earlier. So I was a senior. So she had gotten pregnant as a junior. She was in my class and I knew her like, I mean, we were, we were, we were acquaintances. We had classes together. We knew the same people, but I wasn't her friend friend. I remember I saw her in my senior year after I knew for sure that I was pregnant and I was having this debate in my mind about, okay, oh, like now what, what the hell? Right. And she was working in the front office and I walked up to the front office to do something and I saw her and I'm like, Hmm. So I go up to her and I was like, Hey, you know, how are you? And you know, we made small talk. And then I asked her, I said, what made you decide to have your baby last year? And she looked at me and she says, because it wasn't the baby's fault. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, oh no, that's like, oh no, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> I'm, and I bet you anything in the world that she has no idea we had that conversation. I know for sure she doesn't know the impact. Sometimes I used to think like I should talk to her about it or reach out to her, but you know, it's, I just, it's also one of those things where that happened and that was the moment I knew. And it was really interesting because even back then, and I don't even know what my 17 year old teenage brain was thinking. But even back then I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to commit to it, I'm going to have to be all in with it. You know, I can't just have a baby and then be very cavalier about it. Um, so that was the first thing, right? Is deciding, okay, I'm going to do this. The second thing of course is telling my parents, but <laughs> once they uh, <laughs> got over the shock and awe of that, um, I have to say that they were a huge support to me. I graduated from high school, thankfully, right? But I was already on the road to graduate. So I think for me, as long as I didn't fail everything, I would be fine graduating. So that was great. And I had my daughter in September, like I said, and my daughter's dad, he's Cambodian. So their family's Cambodian. And I remember there was this one time right after I had her and his parents, so her grandparents on her dad's side came over to my house and his dad was talking to my dad and, and they were looking at my backyard and, and his dad said to my dad, oh, you know, your backyard is a great place for a wedding, a great place for a wedding. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking like, who's, who's getting married? <laughs> and my dad, and so his dad didn't speak English very well. Right. I mean, he, he understood it, I think a lot better than he spoke, but so he's telling my dad like, oh, you know, backyard, like marriage. It's great. It's great. And my dad looked at him and my dad is a very stoic man. And he is a man of few words, but he looked at him and he says, they're not getting married. And, and, and his dad, I think he thought he misunderstood. He's like, no, 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 but your backyard, it's so wonderful. We, they can get married. And they said, and my dad said, if they want to get married later, they can get married, but they are not getting married just because they have a baby. When I say my parents are supportive, that's what I mean. They were looking out not only for my daughter's life, but they were looking out for my life, right? They wanted me to still have an opportunity to have a life. So I know 
that I am so fortunate to have those parents that are that forward thinking. So that was the other thing. And then the other thing on that is I was going to these, um, you have to go to these teen parenting classes. Okay. So my insurance company was like, oh, you're a teen mom. You're forced to go to these teen parenting classes. So you have to go to teen parenting classes before you have the baby, right? So just imagine a room of pregnant teenagers once uh, a week. Yes. It was as bad as hormones bad. on hormones on hormones. <laughs> oh, and, so, and, and there's these nurses like talking to you about, Oh, make sure you eat healthy and make sure you do this. And I mean, come on. It was just, you know, I'm sure <laughs> now that I'm an educator and I'm in the position I'm in, I'm like, that's actually sounds like a great program, but you know, being a teenager in that situation, right. Where the last thing we probably needed support wise was someone telling us how to eat. And we probably needed more mental health support. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, you bring up a good point though, as far as like having, being in education now and looking back with the hindsight that there's probably a lot of ways to revolutionize programs. I'm not very familiar with teen programs that exist for teen pregnancy and things like that. And I know that they're out there. There's like first five and things like that. But from what I can take a gander at is that I imagine that it's like anything else, like our, the services that we have that exist in social services. social services, <laughs> it's a mouthful, <laughs> that exists right now is that they were conceived out of wanting to do good, but the system is inherently fractured yeah. and not servicing people the way that it should. Yeah. Like you mentioned, mental health. You're an educator. Mental health is a, a colossal problem at our schools. We don't have enough money to fund psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and all of these kinds of professionals that could really service their kids. Like at the end of the day, I didn't need someone to tell me how to eat while I was pregnant. I need someone to talk to. Yeah, no, really. Especially, especially, you know, looking back, especially culturally, right. For me, Mm -hmm. and I can only speak for myself is that the Chinese culture, just by nature of it, we're not a touchy feely culture, right. We're very much a safe face put on a brave face and you just keep going and you don't let anybody know that things are wrong. And my parents were so supportive of me, but I do, but I do know that mental health wise or that emotional support was lacking. Absolutely. So I go to this class and it was like our last class. And she said, the nurse was up there and she said something super profound for me. And she said, you know, guys, um, there's these statistics that like 70% of you also don't quote me on this Ariel because I'm not a statistic person. So (laughs) this is my memory. This is my teenage pregnancy brain memory. Okay. But this is how enormous it sounded to me, right? This is how impactful it was. She said something like 70% of you will be back here next year, pregnant again. I have a statistic on that. Okay. Okay. Good. See, I'm I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but I think it's, important that I exaggerate because that's how big it was to me. And she looks around the room. I remember this. I could still see her face. I don't have a good memory, but there's these moments in my life where I'm like, Oh, okay. And she looks around the room and she says, don't be that statistic. Mm. And it was profound because it was the support for my parents, but it was also this idea is that I am not going to let this become my identity. I am not going to be a statistic. I, that whenever I felt lonely and tired and frustrated, which happened 
80% of my first 10 years with her, I was like, I am a, not a statistic. I refuse. I refuse to be a statistic. I refuse to make a mistake and let that mistake define my life. And so I don't know where that came from. I don't know where the insight and the reflection as an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old girl came from, but thank God it was there because I think that was a good foundation. That coupled with my parents' support was a good foundation to moving forward and being a teen mom, I think. I always wonder when I hear stories like this about resiliency and profound resiliency and how like I will be damned if that will be me is what sets you apart from other people because statistically 25% of teen moms will have a second child within 24 months of their first baby. Yeah. So 25%. Yeah. But it doesn't, I, I exaggerated, but that's how enormous when I heard, I remember being shocked. <laughs> like when, I personally <laughs> think it's, I think it's higher to be yeah. honest with you. I think that that's a very conservative statistic. Yeah. I, I, I've been watching Teen Mom on MTV since its inception, like like seven generations ago, <laughs> and I, I'm obsessed with all those kinds of shows, and what uh, continues to astound me is how many of the girls have multiple children um, by different fathers, and it's not a judgment thing at all, um, because the children are innocent. The children should not ever be held accountable for the choices that their parents have made, mm-hmm. and that's also like what continues to to fuel my drive as an educator is I look at those babies that are in my classroom as these beautiful vessels that I have been gifted. And I say that about being an educator. I've been gifted with this responsibility to elevate them. However, I, I wonder, you had this like drive and this fire and it's like, was this an intrinsic thing? What's, was it your familial support? Because what we also know, right, about teen moms is a lot of the time is that that familial support doesn't exist. Was it your familial support? Was it the fact that you were such a high achieving student? You were in honors classes. It was your senior year. You were on track to graduate. Like these are all compounding factors for sure that, that impact success. But the biggest thing that I'm hearing and what you're saying is it's your mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've thought about this a lot, right? Of course, because as I've gone through the years and, and I'm a success story, right? Anybody can look at me and say, whoa, look at you, Michelle. And, I, and I've had that a lot and I appreciate it, right? I appreciate when people say to me like, wow, that's amazing. Um, so of course I thought about it a lot. Like, how did I get here? And I think for myself, I think it was all mindset. I think it was all my own grittiness. I think it's my idea of, I'm not going to, I have this personality where like, oh, you're not going to tell me like, I can't do that. Right. It's just, it's, it's, I don't limit myself. And I really believe that was it. You know, I, it's interesting because of course I've had conversations with my parents over the years and, and I expressed to them how grateful I am that they had the foresight to see the big picture for me and to allow me, you know, because they helped me with daycare all the time. They helped me with so many things. I lived with my parents until my daughter was very old because they would take her to school and pick her up and they would do all these things as I was working and as I was going to school, just so many things. But I remember my mom said to me one time, she goes, you know, Michelle, but you had to want to do it. Like, yes, we were there. Yes, we were there. We supported you, but 
you had the drive, you did it, you know? And, and I think the other thing too, that I'm really proud of is I don't even know, how do you even know how a, uh, how a 17 or 18 year old thinks? But I remember that I, when I found out that I was having a girl, I found out I was having a girl. It was right before the uh, senior awards assembly, very weirdly. (laughs) It's just the weirdest thing where I'd gone to the doctor and they told me I was having a girl. And I remember thinking after that to myself, like, what would I want to do differently with my own relationship with my mom? What are some things that I wish I had with my mom and that I want to have with my own daughter? And one of the biggest things was that emotional support was the open communication. You know, with my mom, I was always hiding things from her because I was afraid of the judgment or I was afraid that she would criticize me. And I think it has a lot to do with culture and generation. I don't blame my mom for it. I absolutely don't because she was a good mom. But I do remember thinking, I want my daughter to know that I'm here and that she can talk to me about anything. And I have to tell you, Ariel, We've gone like way beyond that. Sometimes now I'm like, why are you telling me this? Like, I don't want to (laughs) know. I love that. I think that what continues to amaze me throughout this interview and like these layers that you're sharing is like, and I'm like super teary eyed because I'm like moved by like these, first of all, completely like awestruck at the fact that it's 17 years old, that you have these incredible dialogues with yourself. Me too. I, it's and amazing. I think that's an, and I think that's another key when, you know, I'm kind of having an epiphany or I'm just connecting it more when we talk about the intrinsicness of my mindset. I think part of it was the grit, right? Part of it's this attitude of like, you know what? I'll show them. It was partly that. But I really do believe that it was, it, by nature, I think I am very self-reflective just by nature. I must have been right. Because who even thinks of that? Like, I don't even know, but I very, I remember very distinctly thinking that the other thing I remember thinking very distinctly, a couple of things. One was, okay, Michelle, you're on your own. Like you're supporting a person. So you better get your shit together. You know, I remember thinking that too, because I, and that's the drive that pushed me to, to go to college. I had her in September and I, I went to college, uh, community college starting in January. So she was three months old and I put her in daycare because that's what you got to do. And I started, so I only missed a semester out of this whole grand scheme. Yeah. Because, but it was this drive. It was this idea of, man, this sense of urgency, like I'm responsible for another human being and only me, like her dad was still in the picture. Like he and I were still together at the time, but I never thought, oh, I'm going to depend on him to, you know, get the job and I'll just stay home with the kid. I was always like, no, it's me. Like there's another person that, that depends on me. And the other thing that I thought, and I really looked at my life and I said, because I'm on my own, I'm going to have to look at myself in the mirror every day. And I'm going to have to like myself because I can only depend on myself because now I have this other person. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I didn't really like what I saw, to be honest. I had a mm-hmm. lot of things to work on. And the one thing that I started with, very basic, I think also, also I was also 18, so not that profound, but I remember looking at myself and saying, what are, what are the things within me that I need to work on? And one of them was just, I felt like I was a very selfish person. I am a very selfish person by nature. Absolutely. I'm a hundred percent my default is to be super selfish. 100%. This is why we're friends. <laughs> yeah, this is why we're friends. Because I am like, 
Oh yeah. Queen, queen of selfishness. Yes. Like I always, I'm always like, everyone's like, oh, Ariel's number one to number one. And I'm like, yep, I'm number yeah. one. Yeah. I'm number one. Like yeah. whatever I need to get done is number one. But I hate the term selfish. Yeah. I, think I don't think it's, it's like- selfish. I don't. Yeah. I think I know what you're saying. And it's funny. I remember the first time you told us, we had like a group meeting and you said that, like, I'm so selfish. And I just remember like, oh, I know you. I am you. <laughs> Because I am too. I, and so that was one of the things that I looked at myself in the mirror and it's not, it's not so much that I want to alter my traits, right? Because I am who I am and I'm okay with that. It was altering my actions. And at that time, like I said, I was on my own, right? I, in my mind, I imagine myself as an Island. I was on my own. I was raising a kid. I'm going to have to be okay with looking at myself in the mirror and I'm going to have to like myself. So that was, those were the thoughts that I was having at a fucking 18. Like who, I just feel lucky now that I was having those thoughts then. And I really worked on that, right? I really, really consciously, whenever I had to make a decision that had to do with my daughter, which is like my whole life, right? Like my whole life had to do with my daughter and, and the decisions I made, I always had to consciously at first make the decision that would benefit her and not just benefit me. You know what I mean? I think that's what I mean about the selfish part is I had to acknowledge that that was my default. So that way, when it came to her and when it came to decisions I was going to make in my life, that I kept that at the forefront. That was my weakness. So when we talk about overcoming obstacles and up-leveling and evolution that happens for people, the fact that you were so, so self-reflective and in hearing what you said is like, first of all, first and foremost, you took complete responsibility and ownership period of I'm having this baby and I'm going to do this on my own that we've mentioned the term grit and we've talked about perseverance, but this, this concept of how like you literally took a situation that could have been potentially catastrophic to your life and your daughter's life. We know the statistics, like we've mentioned, are unfavorable to teen moms. And the fact that you took something that somebody could have looked at as a a terrible thing happening to you and said, this is happening for me. Mm -hmm. This is happening for me. And I'm going to use this as leverage to evolve myself and change myself. And you've ultimately grown into cultivating a, a better human as a result of finding that you were learning you were pregnant at such a young age. And it's like, that's your path. That was your path. That was your story. Yes, absolutely. And this, you know, ties in very tightly with education. But one of the things that I, the, one of the reasons why I decided to become an educator was because of the hours, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> because I'm a single mom. Right. And both of my parents are educators. They were, reco- they both retired as teachers. And of course I was like, uh, no, I'm never going to be a teacher. Never going to be a teacher. Cause like, that's my personality. Right. I'm like, never going to do that. I mean, I've literally, I literally grew up in the classroom, right? I was in there. There's pictures of me when I'm a toddler. I'm in the classroom with my mom setting up in the summer. And I became friends with her students because her students, she taught elementary school. So when I became their age, we became pen pals. And I always said to myself like, nope, not doing that. But, but, right. (laughs) But after college and, you know, I kind of kicked around a little bit, like, I don't know what I want to do. I had a liberal studies degree. And I kind of knew that uh, that would be a good path for me. And it had, it was one of those times where I was like, okay, Michelle, 
<laughs> this might not be what you want to do, but you got to be practical and put food on the table. And you have to do it in a way where you can still see your daughter every day, right? And you can still have the time to go to her games. Um, so it was that. But I'll also say too, at the same time, I discovered special education. I discovered students with special needs who I fell in love with. So it, it, it dovetailed very nicely because my passion for students with special needs was revealed to me at the same time that I was at this crossroads of like, what, uh oh, like, what am I going to do with my life? So it worked out. I love nice. that. <laughs> I love that because so, and I wanted to make sure that we, because we talked about this before the call, but I wanted to make sure we talked about education. I love to hear about what led people to become educators because I became an educator and I always say it was like a happy accident that I became yeah. an educator. Like I always liked school and I always enjoyed school. I was a very, very uninspiring student. Um, I don't, I, and I, and then I know I'm not to like shoot my own horn, but people meet me and they're like, there's no possible way you could have been uninspiring. And I was like, you didn't know me, <laughs> but I just was like a kid who just did enough to, to do what needed to get done. And I enjoyed school, but I wasn't an overachiever. I wasn't an underachiever. I was just meh like right in the middle, but I always loved English class. And I always thought to myself, well, you know, I had wanted to be a fashion designer. I grew up in New York <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, and I'm, I'm going to be um, the next greatest thing to Betsy Johnson because she was like peaking at the in Oh, the 90s. she's great. Yeah. Oh, I was amazing. And I was like, I'm good. And that's like who my icon was because yeah. I dressed like I mean, I'm very out there, which I know you know that. So like, yeah. I mean, I, I you mean wore fabulous. Crazy shit. You mean fabulous. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, if that doesn't work out, I guess I could be an English teacher. <laughs> I love how you went from <laughs> designer like Betsy Johnson to like, or I'll be an English teacher. <laughs> Literally, that that was it. Well, I mean, if we're going way back in the hot tub time machine when I was a kid, I wanted to be an FBI agent. And I swear, I have like looked that up and I'm, I'm too old now. But I've like considered it because like, I was like, I'm a badass bitch. I could be an FBI agent. <laughs> like so I strike true. fear in man, woman, and child. So <laughs> if you teach middle school in, in oh, the yeah. hood, like, and you do so successfully, you could be an FBI agent. <laughs> I absolutely endorse you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> However, I only got into education because at the time I was like in undergrad, I was really kind of like bored with my fashion coursework and I was tired of meeting people who I just didn't feel like, I hate to be general, but they didn't fulfill me on a level that I wanted to be fulfilled. And I was dating this guy my, everything toggles back to a guy. I was saying this guy who was actually an earth science education major. And the university I went to had us, you were education majors, were dual majors, education, and then your content area. Okay. So he was a earth science major and an education major. And I was like, oh, well, this seems cool. I'll become an English teacher. So I changed my major to become an English teacher. And right from the get-go encountered tremendous opposition in my first education class very first like intro education class. I don't even remember the professor's name aside from the fact that she was a wretched bitch. And <laughs> she was like, you, Ariel, are going to be a terrible teacher. Oh my God. Nobody's going to want to hire you because Ugh. you're going to be the problem person on the staff who always wow. has an opinion. Does she not know that she was a terrible teacher? 
by the nature oh. of her saying that. You, you know what I mean? Like, hello, you're the model of a terrible teacher. Like, <laughs> who would say that to a student on their first day in class? What's wrong with you, lady? There is a whole other episode we can do oh. on the way that teachers damage us. <laughs> I think that your story right? Coming back to your story, my mm. story, like people's stories, our narratives are so important. You could either play party to your narrative narrative, and be a character in that story and continue to kind of replay a redundancy of a repetitive negative cycle, mm. or you can hold the pen to the tail and rewrite the narrative. Mm. And I think what you know, you finding special ed, and I didn't realize both your parents were educators because my sister and I are both education majors. We have no teachers in our family. None. My parents don't have college degrees, the epitome of blue collar. And there's nothing wrong with that. This just, you know, it 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 wasn't around. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the the era. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mother didn't go to college because she grew up in a traditional Italian household where her father said, you're not smart enough for college. So we're not Mm -hmm. sending you. And my mother said, okay, you're right. I'm not going. (laughs) Whereas like someone like you and me, someone tells me I can't do something. I'm like, bitch, watch. And I won't yeah. do it once. Shit, I'm gonna do it twice. Yeah, and I'm gonna do it so well that it is gonna be undeniable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's the other thing. You exactly. Know? It's not just I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it with flair. I'm gonna thrive. And I think that for me, that was part of it. I think the other thing, as we've been talking and, and we're talking about how I ended up where I am, I think another thing that really defined who I was and, and, and the stories. So I I haven't talked too much about her dad. Right. So her dad was in the picture. We were still together until she was about, maybe she was four, I think. And I remember this, this is one of those, another one of those defining moments where at that time, you know, when we had found out that we were pregnant, we had already agreed. We're like, listen, even if we don't stay together, we're going to, we're going to raise her, you know, we're doing, oh, who's, who's this person having these adult conversations? I don't even know this person, but we had agreed, right? We had agreed that even if we don't stay together, we'll, we'll still raise her together and, and all that fun stuff. So anyway, when she was about four, he, he said to me, he's like, you know, Michelle, like we can get married now. Right. Cause you know, going back to the whole thing, my parents like, Michelle, you're not going to get married. You can get married later, but don't get married for the baby. And And I remember literally at that time, he said that and I said, okay, let me think about it, right? Let me think about if, if I want to get married right now, because what, how old was I? 21? I was still Mm -hmm. like 21, right? I was still very young and you know, she's about four. And in my mind, I remember reflecting on it. And in my mind, I saw two roads, right? I I, I saw myself that very uh, cliche. I'm at the crossroads. And one of the roads was going down with him and getting married and doing that traditional thing that also is just tremendous pressure. There was tremendous societal pressure to do that, you know, because even though, you know, we talk about it now and and I haven't talked about it too much, but even though I was doing all of these things to be a uh, model teen mom, at the end of the day, I was still a teen mom. I know what that looks like. I felt it from other people when they saw me and they saw this little girl and I look like I'm, you know, 16 and I have a baby. I, I get it. Like I knew societally the shame that comes with it, right? There's tons of shame. I, I, it's, I spent years working through the shame of it because it is shameful. 
it is shameful, you know, in, in a lot of ways. I, I saw myself going down that road with him, right? Getting married, get, we'll, I don't know, we'll live together, we'll get a house, we might get a boat, like, and, and then I saw the other path. And the other path was dark and it was scary and it was unknown. And, and, and I remember thinking, what do I want for myself? Like, what kind of life do I want to live? Do I want to live this life where, you know, I'm probably going to do it because it's the path path of least resistance, it's easy, it's part of what society expects of me, or, but also, I didn't really want to do that path, right? I knew right away that I didn't really want to marry him, but, you know, of course, I had to think about it, or do I do the terrifying thing, which it was terrifying, right? The terrifying thing of cutting off that familiarity, cutting off that safety net of, oh yeah, I got pregnant when I was 18, but don't worry, like we got married and then I got a job and then we're okay. And and doing my own thing, which I didn't know what it was look like. So as you probably can tell, I decided to take the scary path. And I will tell you, I remember being terrified because I knew that at that moment when I told him, I don't want to get married. And also I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore because I've outgrown you. I knew hundred percent without a doubt that I truly was on my own. Right. Because, you know, he was 21. I'm, it's no fault of his. I've also worked through all my issues with him. We're actually friends now. We talked the other day, just like, Hey, how are you? And he went on his own way. Like he didn't, he didn't keep our pact <laughs> of raising her after <laughs> he went and did his own thing and I raised her on my own. And so I, I do remember being very scared, but I also remember thinking I'd rather be scared than to settle for a life that I don't even want. You are an absolutely amazing person. Mm. I'm literally, I'm literally holding back tears Mm. because in listening to you share that and just that visualization that I have inside my mind of how you're literally at this juncture and how you took this leap of faith in yourself and the fact that you had the courage and the bravery to realize that you could do this and it may not be, well, it won't be easy. It's (laughs) going to be hard. The fact that you leapt into the unfamiliar for a life that you knew that you deserved versus living in the safe lane. And that's the thing is so many people in this world, I think we're, listen, human nature, we are programmed to take the path of least resistance. Of course, because it's easy it, and comfortable. It's <laughs> and the it's reason, not, challenging. not to bring everything back to fitness, but it's the reason why people aren't successful in diet and exercise because eating in a deficit is hard because, bitch, you're hungry yeah. and because you have to work and you have to do things that you don't want to do. Absolutely. And we are, by, by again, we are conditioned to want to be comfortable. We're a lazy species. I mean, seriously, you can go to the supermarket and pick up everything you need. We don't hunt, we don't gather, like all of those things that are like biological things we don't do anymore. So we've become lazy and we're not resilient. And I, I think it is so important for people to hear that you were continually faced with this choice because it seems like he stuck around and he was really kind of uh, your baby's father, really kind of succumb to societal and familial pressure based upon what you had shared, you know, and that's the thing is that society stigmatizes teen pregnancy and babies out of wedlock and things like that. Like celebrities have babies out of wedlock all the time. And everyone's like, oh my God, how cute is that baby? (laughs) And isn't that amazing that they're having a child? But 
when a normal person has a baby mm-hmm. out of wedlock or a teen gets pregnant, it's like, oh yeah. my God, they had sex and now they're having a baby. You must get married. But, yeah. you know, just because we think that there's a path that people should walk because many people have walked that path, doesn't make it the right path. And I applaud you for taking that risk on yourself. Yeah. And your daughter. Yeah, absolutely. But also, I also want to insert here that, you know, yes, I did all these things, but it was super hard. And I was not the nicest. I, I don't think that I was the best mom. I really don't. I think that's, I don't have very many regrets. Um, but one of the regrets I do have is I didn't appreciate all those little things about her. You know, I had my family around, they really helped raise her. It literally took a village how they say I didn't understand that cliche and that saying until I had my own daughter and I probably could have been a better mom. I think I was, I was young, I was doing it right, but it was really hard. And I know for sure that I wasn't my best self during that time. And it's not a judgment. It's just the way it was. I was surviving and thriving a little bit and doing all these things. But, but I do, I do want to say that, you know, it wasn't all roses. I don't want anybody to get the impression that, you know, being brave to make these decisions, I was still so imperfect and I still made so many mistakes and, um, you know, that that's part of the journey as well. And I think now with hindsight looking back, because now I can take this bird's eye view of that whole process. I have been able to give myself grace in terms of, I was doing the best I could. I was doing the best I could. She's a fantastic human being. I had a lot of support. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't want anybody to think like, oh yeah, Michelle, it was so easy for you. Like it wasn't like, I, I want to say most of all of my twenties, probably into my thirties. So what, like for 15 years, or so it was just, I was not that happy, (laughs) you know? I mean, I did the things and just recently I saw this old home video. (laughs) We were watching home videos and my daughter, she probably was maybe, maybe she was four or something. We had gone to Big Bear. So it was like a family vacation and I'm watching this video and she's so cute, but I remember watching myself. So I'm watching myself in this video, right? I'm like 21, 22. And like it made me really sad because I was going through the motions of playing with her and smiling at her, but I was looking at my own eyeballs. I had dead eyes, dead eyes, Mm. (laughs) you know, and it made me so sad for myself now, all these years later. And I think I'm a much healthier, mentally healthier human being looking back at that girl and just, I'm like, Oh my God, I was miserable. You know, I, inside, right? Like, like the internal fundamental me was just beat down. And so I want to bring that up because I think that's also an important part of the story. Making the choice was a hard decision to, you know, do these things and have this mindset and be self-reflective. Yeah, that's all amazing. But the reality, the day-to-day reality was it was a grind. I was really lonely, you know, I was alone and isolated for a lot of it in my mind, right? Like even though I had a lot of people supporting, so. Well, and that follow through in spite of it, right? To continue to keep going. And I think that that is an important point. I'm glad that you mentioned that, that you were looking back and and seeing yourself because ultimately making the hard, initially hard decision to go out on your own was probably the easiest decision. And then the harder decisions are the ones you made day to day to continue to carry on and move forward with this life that's hard. And 
I, I want to continue to emphasize for people that are listening is that we can do hard things. Mm. Uh, Glennon Doyle, one of my favorite authors, mm. she says Love that, and that we can do that. But you also mentioned, you kind of like indirectly quoted Brene Brown when you were saying I was doing the best that I can. Those are like two of my favorite people in the, <laughs> Me the world right now. <laughs> Like when we were in class and like the, um, Dr. Somkin was like talking about, was it her that talked about Brene Brown or Dr. Phillips? I Dr. don't remember. Phillips too. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, she's my hero. I actually have the workbook, <laughs> uh, on rising strong, but, but that's exactly it. You said I was doing the best that I can mm-hmm. and going into things in giving yourself that grace that you mentioned. And I think for people we're really hard on ourselves. Absolutely. And especially as someone like you, who's been through so much, who's also an athlete is like, mm-hmm. so I bring this up a lot when we talk in class is what I think has made me strong was like my fundamental, I guess my anchoring in athletics, right? Everything comes back to athletics for me. And that's what's made me gritty and is understanding that I'm held accountable to a higher organization and a team of people that are relying upon me and, and what I do and how I do it impacts others. But the fact that you can look back on something and recognize that I made a hard decision and then there were chips that fell in a certain place and I did the best that I can. That's all we can ever do. So like in a game situation, I'm doing the best that I can. We're going to make mistakes. But we're faced with, I made a mistake. Does it define me or do I move forward and learn from it? And mm-hmm. you've allowed these things to, to not define you because it was very easy to succumb to circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very easy to A, become a statistic. Very, very easy to take the safe route. And, and the thing is that I, because you brought it up several times about your daughter's father, yeah. is that you marrying him would have tethered you in a way that would have prevented you from growing into the woman, the educator, the mother, the daughter, the friend, the colleague, the student that you became. And you talk about dead eyes. Mm. I hate to say this, but when teens are forced and that's, I'm sorry, what teenager actually really wants to get married? I know that like- <laughs> oh, No, it's true. I, they don't I mean, I, they don't. They don't. It's not their will. It's societal pressure. It's family pressure. It's, it's also, you know what? It might be their will because it's the shame. And, 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 that, and I love Brene Brown, right? She talks a lot about shame. And it took me a long time to, to be unapologetic when people would say, oh, like your daughter, oh, she's, you look so young. She seems so old. And, and a lot of times I would, you know, respond in a very like flippant way, but inside I would cringe because I still felt shamed. I still felt shameful. And it's not the person, they weren't shaming me, but it was this whole idea this identity and this perception of what a teen mom is. And it's shameful. So I do believe that maybe some, some of those, they get married, right? Some teen moms get married because they feel like it absolves them or it covers or it takes away the shame because I believe that the shame is so, that can eat you up. And, and that's why I think I had dead eyes. And that's why I think, you know, all of those years, you know, like for the first 15 years or, or whatever it was, I had to work through that and really learn how to detach myself from the shame. Right. I had, but I had to consciously do that. And I had to tell myself, no, Michelle, you're not a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, 
you're actually, you're actually doing all of these things. And of course now it's been, my daughter's 23 now and I've been far enough away from it and I've healed myself, right? I've become so much more, um, even more self-aware and just really worked on my own internal, you know, uh, emotions and identity where I can see that that's what I was trying to do. Right. But shame hovered over me for most of her young life, you know, and it wasn't until I forcibly removed that from my life that I've been able to talk about things like being a teen mom, this conversation that we're having no way. Even maybe five years ago, couldn't do it without breaking down, without, you know, feeling embarrassed. You know what I mean? Whereas now it's, it's really interesting. <laughs> this one last segue the other day I was, um, over Thanksgiving, my daughter lives, she lives in a different state. So I went to go visit her for Thanksgiving and we were in a store and this couple, this young couple said, Hey, you know, we're looking for this. We were looking at baby bags. We're in the store that had bags, baby bags. And they're like, Hey, so do any of you have kids? Cause like, what, you know, do you think that this would be a good baby bag? And she's like, no, I don't have kids. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't either. And then she looked at me. She's like, mom. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's funny, but it's also very symbolic because I've literally been able to get over being a teen mom and put that in my own past for myself, right? Get over it in my own mind of thinking, oh no, like there's this thing and I did and it was terrible and it was a mistake and like I had to pay for it, right? Because of course I felt like I had to pay for it and it's shameful, but it, it really just tells me mindset wise, like, whoa, like you're healed. You've healed from that whole life defining situation. Um, and healed in a healthy way. Yeah. She's like, I, it was so funny. She's, and she's not very sentimental. She's amazing, but she's also very logical. She's like, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, I meant, I don't have a baby. I don't have a baby child. I don't have a, a like, baby <laughs> child. <laughs> they were talking about baby bags. Right. And, and it was funny. We were having this conversation and they're looking at us and they're like, Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So I want to, a circle back to, because you mentioned this, if you don't mind speaking to it, you've mentioned that the healing that you've gone through, yeah. were there things or steps that you specifically engaged in? I don't know. Did you find religion? Did you find yoga? I mean, I know it's different for everyone. Were you journaling? Was there something mm -hmm. that was like a turning point for you that helped you on your healing journey to make peace with those things? That's a really good question. Um, well, I've always been a journaler. <laughs> I was also an English major. I was liberal studies and my concentration was in English. So I, I have journals from when I was in elementary school. So me too. Yeah. When maybe, you know what, maybe that's where the self-reflection comes in, right? Like if, if I naturally like to write, I naturally like to write about my internal self, you know, and that was a habit that I had cultivated inadvertently as a kid. So maybe that's why I was self-reflective. Um, I, I, we've talked about this before, but fitness, I love bodybuilding, definitely an escape. Definitely. If I had to pick one thing was this idea of getting into, um, fitness and that becoming a safe haven, right? Every day for an hour, I can go and be myself. Right. And so I think that helped a lot. Um, gosh, other than that, it's just, it was just a lot of internal reflection. Well, it's not, it's not necessarily like, it doesn't have to be this, like, I think people overcomplicate things, right? Mm -hmm. I think people think a healing journey has to be like 
you know, a six month retreat in Bali where you're living in the jungle and you're eating fruits and vegetables and juice cleansing and right. meditating to, to have a come to Jesus moment. And you've mentioned two things that science and research fully support mm-hmm. in healing, um, overcoming obstacles, being able to grow and evolve, like that self-reflected component, which is journaling. And and now it could take on so many forms. It could be blogging. It can be running an Instagram page and sharing your healing journey. I mean, there's so many different ways it's evolved in the in the world in which we currently reside. But you mentioned the fitness thing. As someone who also is very into fitness is that that hour is yours and no one can take that away from you. And especially when you're training for a specific goal, all you can focus on is the here and the now. And, uh, you know, people ask me all the time as I've gotten into road cycling where I go on these rides and I ride, I just rode a hundred miles, which was like, it was amazing. And the most like I don't want to say it was one of the most transformative things of my life because I still cite my bodybuilding, my first bodybuilding show as, and and anyone who's ever done a show, oh my God, you cannot explain it. Anyone who, only people who have done it understand. It's like a camaraderie. It's a secret society. (laughs) You talk about eyes. That's why. That's why you and I right away were like, oh, okay. Because shit, you got to be batshit crazy to do a bodybuilding show. (laughs) Totally. I totally agree. But, and I also agree that it is very transformative. It absolutely is. But it's an escape. So like I ride my bike and the only thing I'm thinking about on my bike is aside from not dying, but it's like, (laughs) is just one pedal stroke in front of the other. It's an ability to completely disconnect from the world that I'm living in. And I, I love that you shared those tips because I think, again, people think that they need to have some sort of lightning strike epiphany in order to start to heal. And all it takes is recognizing that you have the power to start your healing journey today right now. No, I agree. And I think part of it too, when we're talking about it's finding something that you're going to show up for every day, right? It's the consistency. I think that's the other thing. Like, I know you mentioned, you know, yeah, it's, it's easy to be in Valley for six months when you're in this closed environment where nothing else gets in and to focus on yourself. But I really believe too, it's that showing up for yourself. It's being selfish enough. And this is where I think being selfish. And like I said, we would have to figure out a different term for it. It's not because I feel like selfish has a negative connotation, but it's being selfish enough to recognize and say, Nope, that's my hour every day. That's my hour. And I'm, I'm going to work around the hour. I'm not going to work that hour into it. I'm not going to let other people take over that hour. I'm not going to give that hour to anybody. But I think that's the other thing is just finding that thing that quiets your mind and puts you in the present and makes you feel at peace with yourself. And then it's making the commitment to do that every day and to guard it. I think that's the other, because like, for example, you know, so I've been in fitness, gosh, I've been consistently working out, let's say going to the gym five to six days a week or whatever it is for almost 20 years now. And I would fit it in. I would do it before work, right? I used to be, you know, I would do it right after work, but it became one of those things where like, I would tell my daughter, you know, she would go to school and then she would either be in daycare or get picked up. And I would say, no, but I'm going to work out and then I'll pick you up. Right. And it was never, it was never, oh no, I can't work out because I have to pick her up. And you know, she spends another hour there in daycare. Like her whole life is ruined. It was never like that. So I think 
that's when being selfish is a good thing. Okay. You bring up an amazing, amazing point. I'm so glad you shared that. So Glennon Doyle's recent book, Untamed, that Mm -hmm. I think came out March, April, or around that time period, because I read it at the very beginning of the pandemic. She talks about this martyrdom that we do in the West, at least, this uh, mother martyrdom that happens that mothers forego passions, goals, dreams, interests for the sake of, I need to be here for my kid. Mm -hmm. And what what she points out is that she says that this martyrdom is not setting an, uh, the example that you think it's setting. You don't get any badges of honor for not going to the gym so you can sit there and supervise your daughter doing her homework. But by saying to your daughter, I am important enough to take this time for myself, you're saying to your daughter, you are also important enough to recognize that you need to invest in yourself to be a better person. And that's what's important to understand is it is not selfish. You are not ruining your child's development. You're not ruining your daughter's life by picking an hour a day that you own for yourself because that hour a day makes you better for everyone else in your world for 23 other hours a day. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. I remember this time, like I said, my parents were amazing. I remember when she was you know, maybe she was a toddler, you know, two and three. And my mom would tell me, she'd say, Hey, go out with your friends on the weekends, right? Like take that, like, we'll watch her go out with your friends on the weekend. So like I said, my parents were fabulous in in that way. And I remember I would go out and, and I remember having this conversation with my daughter and she's like, I don't want, you know, I don't want you to go. Like, I don't want you to go. Like, I want you to stay. Like, why do you have to go? And I told her, I said, listen, because mommy, you know, you have friends. She said, yeah, I have friends at school, preschool. And I said, mommy has friends too. And when mommy gets to go with her friends, she can come back and be a better mom. And I said, and I know you don't like it that I I'm leaving you. I said, I know you don't. And I know you're going to cry because she was, you know, very attached to me. She still is very attached to me. <laughs> so, and, but I said, but I need to do this. And I did it guilt-free. And I think what you're talking about, I, now looking back, I am grateful that I was young and dumb and ignorance is bliss because I didn't, I didn't have any mom guilt. I know mom, I, I don't know that much about the mom culture online right now, but I have heard this idea of mom guilt. And, you know, I think back to myself, I'm like, did I have mom guilt ever? Not really. You know why? Because I had to get my shit done. And, and at the time, because I was young, I think it was one of those things like, no, I need time for myself. Like I'm going to go crazy if I don't go out with my friends, if I don't have that time. And, and I would tell her, I said, mom needs her time too. So I think being young, I think also this is right before, you know, like internet wasn't that big of a thing. You could, I couldn't go on and Google it because I'm sure it'd be different now, right? There's so much information that we're bombarded with by so many different people about the right way to raise kids or the right way to be a mom. I had none of that. I think the only thing I read about being a mom was that old school, what to expect when you're expecting book. (laughs) (laughs) And that was more for like developmental stuff. It had nothing to do with like like raising a kid the right way. (laughs) Oh, it is crazy. My sister had a baby in June And the shit she tells me and the shaming of other moms. And I am blown away about when to decide to give your kids solid food and how there's a polarized mom community about, (laughs) do you give the kid purees or do you give the food solid? And if you're giving your kids solid food, you cannot talk about purees and you cannot give your baby purees. I I don't even know. I was like, (laughs) I'm like, 
It's fucking food. Just yeah. fucking feed the baby. She'll figure out how to eat it. Like, I don't know. It's evolution. We've been raising children since the dawn of time and we yeah. obviously survived. And I'm really grateful that I was able inadvertently to bypass all of that. Really? Like I had, I was able mm-hmm. to buy, I don't have to spend the mental energy <laughs> thinking about all those things. Mm-hmm. I was young. I was practical, right? I'm like, okay, well, you know, you have to go to daycare when you're three months old and, and once you're in school, like you have to stay into a daycare for a couple of hours after because going to school and I'm working and I'm doing all these things. And, and, and I talked to my sister about that we talk about it a lot. My sister was only 15 when my daughter was born. So they're very close. Right. And, uh, you know, she helped my sister is great with her. My, my daughter's very close to my family. And that's one thing that we talked about is just that it takes a lot to raise a kid. Right. But also if you have to do certain things, like put your child in daycare and keep them out, you know, school and do all these other things, that's not the most important thing. And that's what I've learned. It doesn't, it, it won't wreck their lives. Right. No. So many other things. What did I do instead? I invested in our relationship. You know, I invested in the communication. I spoke with her about many things. I mean, I was very honest when she was in preschool. (laughs) She came home one day and she goes, mom, why are you so much younger than all the other moms? (laughs) That's what my friends tell me. Yeah. And she was really young. And even then I, I told her then because I, I had you when I was very young. And it was, it was an accident, meaning I didn't expect you, right? I didn't expect you, but I'm so happy you're here. But that's why, that's why that I'm, um, I'm so much younger than the other moms. And as she grew up, we had that conversation, not all the time, but whenever it did come up in different iterations, depending on her development, right? And I remember when she was a senior in high school and it was January and I said, hey, this is when I became pregnant. And she was just like, that is so great. I can't even believe it. Like, oh, but I think it really hit her, you know, as a senior in high school, like, oh shit, you were pregnant right now. Like I can't. And she's like, I can't even imagine. I said, I know it's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. But you know, I think that was the thing. So yes, did she have to be in daycare? And yes, did I probably give her solid foods at the wrong time? Absolutely. And damn uh, you. (laughs) I know. Right. But, but I think when we look at the big picture and maybe if you're a mom and you're listening to this, this will help you feel better about yourself and your choices and, and about doing the best you can within your circumstances. Because I think that luckily I invested in the right things with her. I spent the quality time to build a good foundation for her where she felt valued, where, where I told her you are valuable, where I said to her, let's have conversations where I was super open and honest about my own circumstance. You know, like I said, in a developmentally appropriate way. Right. But, but really I never hid it from her, you know, her dad, when we would talk about him and he had some health, mental health issues. And so when we would talk about that and I would explain it and I said, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like this chemical thing in the brain and he's trying his best and he's working it out. And, and I never shied away from being open and honest with her. I never shied away from the struggles. It's been hard. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to raise you on my own. It's really hard. And, and there's many like financial sacrifices I made so that she could go to summer camps and she could do these things. Because the other thing I think to myself was I want her to be better than me, right? I want her to have more opportunity than me. I want her to do more than me. And so what would that look like? And that would look like going to summer camps. That would look like having opportunities to travel. That would looks like being in club soccer, <laughs> right? And so, but at the same time, 
I, I would have conversations with her about that. Like I'm sacrificing this for you because I want you to have more than I did. And I love that. Yeah. And I think those are the right things to invest in, you know, so I love like, your honesty. So, so let go. Yeah. Let go of, let go of the whole, let, let go of the daycare and all that stuff. Like, I think if you, you invest in the things that really matter, they come out fabulous and she's fabulous. She really is. Well, you mentioned this concept of shame that you had had growing up as, as yeah. far as societal pressure and, and expectations and, and all those kinds of things. But you know, the way that the world has evolved is that there is a lot of mom shaming for how yeah. you choose to raise your child. And I, I see that with my sister and the amount of stress and strain and pressure that she feels about to do this right. Both my sister and I came from blue collar working class parents. We lived in a suburb of New York city in a town called Oceanside. We lived in a very modest house that as a kid, I was embarrassed of, even though it's a, it was a great house, yeah. but my friends had more. My friends had more. My friends' parents had more education. My friends had nicer clothes. My father's business went bankrupt when I was in uh, elementary school. I was probably third, fourth grade-ish. And my father was out of work for years. Mm. And my mom was the one who worked. And I remember being young enough to not really be embarrassed. Like right. I didn't understand what was happening because my parents did a really great job of shielding adult problems from my sister and I. I. We knew that something wasn't right. Like, oh, my dad's a stay-at-home dad. Like that right. was like, what? Right. And like he's like, always around, right? Like he doesn't go yeah. to, to work like a traditional dad. Yeah. And he would make our lunches and, <laughs> yeah. and put our hair in our ponytails Aww, in the morning. So and and yeah. yeah, I mean, and my mom, I remember my mom teaching him how to put our hair up and things Aww. like that. And if we forgot something and my dad would have to drop it off at school. And I, you know, was kind of unaware that like shit was really bad for my parents, that mm -hmm. creditors were calling and that they didn't have any money and they didn't know where the bills were going to be paid and all of these things. Right. But we didn't have any money yet. My parents we watched movies together. Yeah. We lived near the beach in the winter. We have pictures of us in jackets going to the beach and Aww. picking up shells and doing winter yes. picnics in the, and that doesn't cost anything. We would go to the nature preserve and we'd walk around and we would lie on our bellies and look. And my dad would say, be real quiet. And then the hermit crabs would come out Aww. of their little holes. And, yeah. and then you got to see all the sea life. Like to be a great parent, does not mean to buy them a fucking Segway and a drone mm -hmm. and a, what are those, a hoverboard <laughs> and Game Boy, like full of Game Boy, does that even exist anymore? But I'm saying <laughs> the era that we grew up in, but it's yes. like, that's not great parenting. Yeah. Great parenting is the time that you invest in speaking to your child, mm -hmm. building them up, being real with them. And, and as much as my parents shielded the adult things from us, we had a very, very open reciprocal relationship where my parents asked us questions. Like we were not allowed to not eat dinner together as a family. Yeah. Even yeah. now, I'm 38 <laughs> years old. When I go home to visit my parents, if I'm out, I need to still call and say, hey, mom, I will not be home for dinner. I don't yeah. need to ask for permission now, right. but I need to tell them yeah. that I will not be home because the assumption is, is you'll be home for dinner. Those fibers are what, what builds a lasting loving relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. And the way that this is kind of like wrapping up is like, that's what it comes back to is that yeah. like to love someone, you don't need money. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Absolutely. not. And I think that, 
it's really easy, especially now in this age to get wrapped up in the minutia, mm-hmm. right. Of, of how to raise a little person. Um, but I can tell you, she didn't eat organic food or she didn't do any of those things. But foundationally, I inadvertently or instinctually probably just put my money in building that foundation and putting, laying the bricks for the quality time and the be a decent person time, right? That, that's always my thing to her too, is like, be a decent human being. Do you think what you just said is, a, is something a decent person would say? You know, so it's those things. And, and I have to say, she's a fabulous person. I am beyond proud of her. Like I am beyond proud of her. Like I, not only do I love her because she's my daughter and that's what you do. You love your daughter, but I actually genuinely like her as a person, which is that's good. It, it says a lot though. Right. Because also too, now that I'm older, you know, I think before when you're young, you're like, of course you love your kids. Duh. Like they're your kids, but no, it's not like that. It's very nuanced. There's a lot of things that go on and and of course you love your kids, but to like your kid and, and to want to spend time. And, and honestly, she's right now, actually my phone is on silent, but it's been ringing. And I'm like, I bet you it's her because she's the only one that if I don't answer, she'll keep calling me. And she still does that. And I love it now because my, my biggest gauge now. So if we're talking about being an adult mom to adult child, my biggest thing now is if she still asks for my opinion, if she still reaches out to me when she needs advice about big life things, you know, because she's an adult now, that means our relationship is good. So that's my gauge when the fact that she'll call me and be like, mom, like, what do you think of these pants? All the way until mom, you know, I'm thinking about a new job. Like, what do you think about that? You know, to mom, I want to adopt my first animal. So um, that's my gauge now. That's what I tell parents now. Um, if they have kids that are going to be adults is like, if they still value your opinion and reach out to you willingly, like you're good. Don't overthink it. It's fine. <laughs> I love that. And here's the thing is you want them to also make decisions and then like, Hey, I made this choice. I don't think it was the best choice. And here's why you've taught her how to stand in her power. Cause you've talked yes. about her before. And like, and that's ultimately like a priceless lesson. And, and I agree. Like, so, you know, parenting evolves at this point, if she's still checking in and asking you for things, cause like I'll text my mom and my mom doesn't know how to use her iPhone, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, um, but then like, I'll call her and she won't pick up. And then I'll like call her again and she doesn't pick up. And I call again. I was like, mom, where yeah. were you? Exactly. Like, why, why didn't you pick up your phone? I could have been dead lying in a ditch. She goes, well, you're not. What's up? <laughs> oh my God. That sounds like a conversation I have with my daughter. We have a great relationship. Like I said, I think that, of course, cliche why it was worth it. In, in, and, you know, I, when she was younger, I used to think, oh, I wish things were different, right? Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, no, this was my path. This, this has made me who I am and, and all the things I'm doing being, and now I'm bearing the fruits of all that hard work. And, and I guess my, my last thing I would say about my own experience in terms of going through something that's hard, if anybody's listening is it's not always going to be hard and you just concentrate on putting one foot in front of the other. And as long as you're pushing forward a little bit, it's okay. And there's going to be a point in your life where you're going to be able to look back and be really proud of all the things that you did. And it's a day-to-day thing. And it's not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying it's always going to be fun, but being able to take control and design the life you want for yourself is worth it. So Michelle, 
Mm-hmm. That is the perfect way to wrap this up. But before we wrap this up, I do want to give you an opportunity to plug your podcast <laughs> so that my listeners can go ahead and check you out because sure. you are a gem that I am so glad to have met and um, oh, I feel call the exact a friend. same way. I feel the exact same way about you. you. Absolutely. Oh my, are you kidding me? Like. We could, li- everyone, we could literally talk for hours, literally. About anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we had this whole conversation before we even started recording because I think that we see in each other kindred spirits. Um, so yes, I do have a very brand new podcast. It's called In the Principal's Office with Angie and Michelle. And really it's just kind of conversations that we're having now that I have with my principal. So it's an educational pod. It's a podcast about education, but really also about much more. Um, I like to interview people and, and do what we're doing. How did you end up in education? What's your journey? How have your life experiences shaped you to be the leader you are, to be the person you are? And also it's just to show people that you know, being in leadership or being in a position of power, I feel like a lot of times there's perceptions or people start acting a different way. And it's so important for me that we can pull the curtain back on that and and share that experience. So it's been, honestly, it's been super fun. I really love it. It's called In the Principal's Office with Angie and Michelle. You can find, okay, you know, Ariel, she'll she'll laugh because I'm trying to get into social media, kind of, a little bit. (laughs) So I do have um, Instagram. My IG handle is um, It's Miss Lou. So I don't know. You can put it somewhere. I, they I'll put it in the show notes so okay, people great. can go ahead awesome, and because find I'm, you there. Because I think I all actually have a mental block about being able to say it, but yeah, but the podcast is super fun. So if you want to, uh, if you're interested in educational things and having real conversations, you can head over there. Um, and I just want to say, Ariel, you're my inspiration for being a Renaissance woman and doing a whole bunch of different things and seizing life. And, and like I said, I think that's why I identify with you so much because I feel the same way about life, right? My new motto now is limitless possibilities. And I really Ooh, that, right? That is good. Limitless. Like, I don't know what my life is going to look like in a year or five years or 10 years. But what I do know though, is that it's a possibility to be anything. I love that. That's my new motto for myself. (laughs) I love that. I always say that I suffer from thinking I can do and be anything. There you go. It's the same thing. It's exactly. Exactly. And I say, I suffer from this thinking that I can do and be Uh, anything. So I do too. Limitless possibilities. Limitless possibilities. I do suffer from that as well. I love it. It's a wonderful thing to suffer from. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Michelle Liu, who will be Dr. Michelle Liu in 2023. (laughs) I want to just continue to emphasize that because it's an important achievement. Well, we'll have to come back on and then you can just keep calling me doctor. I'll keep calling you Dr. Miller. The whole episode is just going to be us calling each other doctor because it matters. (laughs) It does matter. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Leveling Up with Ariel Miller. It has been a pleasure. And again, you can find me on Instagram at Ariel underscore Miller. Please feel free to send me a DM or all of those wonderful things sharing your thoughts. And if there's an episode that you'd like us to go ahead and cover topic, theme, et cetera, please feel free to go ahead and let me know. Love you. Mean it. Mwah. 